Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to High Resolution. I'm Seamus Byrne. Australia is well known as a nation of sport lovers. Right now, loving sport is a hard task when there's nothing out there to watch. But there's always the land of video game sports sims. And it's not just fans who've been embracing those kinds of games, it's the sports codes as well. This week... I'm chatting with Ross Simon, CEO of Big Ant Studios, Australia's most prolific maker of sports video games. Cricket, AFL, tennis, rugby league, even lacrosse. Big Ant has got them all in its library. What unites designing sports games of so many stripes? And how has Big Ant dealt with licensing? We explored these sorts of questions and many more. Ross is a true veteran of the industry and shares so many great thoughts about games development since some of its earliest days and how to carve a path in the industry. So we start by heading all the way back to where it began for Ross to show just how deep his knowledge of the business goes. For me, it's actually a quite a long time and some gaps in the middle so yeah i was i was first published in 1979 so back when you know it's uh not many people had computers at home i used to actually sneak down to a tandy electronic shop and i used use to love their, going in there <laughs> their gap. well I, I i didn't realize at the time but obviously as a bit of a kid it's 1979 i'm going down there and um it didn't have any storage mechanisms, so every week I'd have to rewrite whatever I wrote the week before, yeah, or continue from that. But um, I didn't realise they were using me to to actually sell the systems. So they were sort of saying, "If that kid can do it, anyone can." <laughs> so that's that's how I kind of fell into it. It, it was a much, a, it was really a love of um, Pong and Space Invaders and stuff like that that made me want to make the same things. And the only way of doing that was to have a PC or Tandy TRS-80 or something like that um, back in the day. So that, that's how I fell into it. Um, and then um, I guess the magazines at the time in, in those early 80s, they were uh, really expensive. They were like 10 bucks back then. Yeah. So in today's, you know, Byte magazine and all these computer mags, they were, um, there's obviously no internet. So those things were 10 bucks back then, which has got to be hundreds of dollars in value now. So they were so expensive that I actually took a paper round, um, not to actually get paid for the paper round and really wanted to deliver the papers, but to actually sit in the news agency and read all the magazines. Nice. So I just sit down there and read the mags for free while I'm waiting for the papers to be counted. Um, and then I started selling my games um, in printed form to the news agents. So I'd go up and down the Melbourne Peninsula 
um, we've printed copies. And when I say printed, they're really, there's an old machine that used to have methylated spirits. It would be copying at your schools. Oh, yeah. It's like really old school. Um, so I'd sneak in the principal's office and use his copier to <laughs> copy my printed listings, which I'd then deliver to news agents who would sell it. And for each sale they made, I got 50% and they got 50%. So that's how I, that was my first publishing. Um, and then I wrote some books on um, programming. So, you know, stuff for the 64, for the Commodore 64, the BBC Micro and things like that back in the day. Um, I think it's also worth yeah. just kind of touching on there for the uninitiated, what it means to have sold printed versions of your games. Because I think some people might not be all that aware of that era when you really could just sometimes buy a game by essentially needing to take it home and type it in yourself. Yeah, that was the first distribution method. In fact, most people back then probably, given that there wasn't storage, because you know, you you really didn't have a private use of computers was really small. Yeah. And, and so, and even if you did, you probably had a tape drive. So you'd use audio cassettes to store your stuff on. That's if you were wealthy enough to have one of those. But um, so what you had to do is, and a lot of the magazines would have listings in the back of them. Uh, what you had to do was actually type the code, literally type the code into the computer so that you could actually run a game. And those games would be very rudimentary. They'd be very simplistic. Um, and the computers back then too, you know, everything from a VIC-20 that had 3.5K. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't even think how many pixels that is, but it's not enough for a GIF, I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> or it's a very, no, not even the smallest of JPEGs. But um, so, yeah, you would you would actually get listings out of, the first time I ever saw listings was in magazines and you type them in and that's what led me to think, okay, I could distribute by um, printing my own listings. And and I use the word print too, and it's really not printing because there was no such thing as a printer. So we actually used to type it on a typewriter and then after typing on a typewriter and hoping you hadn't made any mistakes, um, yeah, you then you would then make copies, which – you know, back then was your Xerox type thing or yeah. or the same. But, um, yeah, so I'd actually take those for people to type in and then we would have bug reports and things that happened by mail. People would actually send you letters and say there was a bug here or a bug there or whatever. So you'd have this exchange of letters going back and forward as your support mechanism. It was interesting times, <laughs> snail mail. Oh, that's brilliant. So, yes, so and then I imagine we, we hit the 90s. Uh, where where did you go next? So, yeah, all the way through the 80s, I uh, was doing games. I dropped out of games for a while in the 90s um, and formed a, a, a formed a wireless company, which ended up floating on the NASDAQ. Um, and the, the, the guts of that actually ended up becoming sold to a company called Research in Motion. Ah, which yeah. then which then became the blackberry yeah so yeah the the uh yeah the server side for the blackberry and for a lot of the um in fact it was so dominant it was actually called crackberry in the state yeah the the blackberry pages but um the back end of that was all written in melbourne 
Um, wow. But a lot of the guys that are currently, yeah, but a lot of the guys are currently at Big Ant, actually. So we um, sold off that and that got folded into Research in Motion in Canada and became the BlackBerry pager. Uh, and then went back to games in around the 99, 2000, 2001. And what brought um, you and, back? Yeah. Was like, was it that where your heart always was, or, or was it something else? Yeah, I was always making games anyway, yeah. um, but not releasing them, which is kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's a hobby, and um, well, and it's something that gets in your blood. And you, if you, you, if you love that creation, you know, you just really do. Yeah, I, I got to say, I do miss the the time of the eighties where. Um, and I've got no musical ability whatsoever, but or not much artistic ability really. But I could actually create the music, the art, um, the code, and do everything for a game back in the eighties. I do miss that, mm. but um, and it never gets out of your blood. So, you know, back in two thousand two thousand and one, we founded um, Bullant because we Big Ant was actually called Bullant at the start, and. Uh, it was getting mispronounced all around the world <laughs> because they don't have bull ants. So <laughs> bullant is that or something? Yeah, like that? <laughs> bullant. Yeah, it was bullant. And of course, there's no Rosses in the US. So I'd or I'd go to GDC or I'd go to some other show and I'd be introduced as Russ Simmons from Bullant. <laughs> so it it couldn't be more wrong. And I, I wasn't going to change my own name, but I did change, end up changing the company name. And the reason we did that was um, there was fast becoming wireless devices in gaming and there was a uh, even wireless controllers. Mm. And there was a company called Bullant Wireless. And if we stayed as Bullant Studios, uh, we would have conflicted with their trademarks. Yeah. So we decided, right, the U.S., Guy, the, the Yanks can't screw this up. I'll just call it Big Ant. Yep. It's nice and simple. Can't screw that up. Um, and so, yeah, that's how we, we changed to Big Ant to avoid conflict and to actually get it so that people could say our name in the in the US. That's great. Um, yeah, and so we started actually Bull Ant uh, in the early days. We, we actually did maybe four years of doing our own IP. So the guys would um, just come up with internal ideas. We'd generate um, code, go show it to publishers and get turned down for about four years. <laughs> so we decided, oh, man, that's a hard road. Um, it, was, it was back in the time when, you know, PS2 was becoming PS3. Uh, publishers would say, we want something new and different. And then when you'd show them <laughs> something new and different, they would actually say, yeah, but what's it like? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was tough. Um, so we did work for hire. So we decided, okay, look, four years of, you know, four years of expending our money um, is probably long enough. We probably need to earn some money. Um, so we did some work for hire, and we did a lot of work with THQ, and and we worked with THQ for maybe eight or nine years, I think, in the end. Um, before you know, THQ fell over, mm. um, which you know, which was really, really a big loss. It was unfortunate, um, but um, yeah. And then you know, it's always we've always had a view that we started with not doing work for hire and doing our own IP, 
And we always had a view that you really can't do work for hire and survive. Um, so we've always had our eye on becoming a um, distributor and publisher of our own stuff um, and set about that road of really, you know, how, how do we own this? How do we control it? Um, and how do we get longevity? How do we get sequels? Because, you know, we did some stuff, um, you know, working with Chrome, we did Hellboy and Spyro. Um, and it became very, very apparent that you might not be the studio that gets that gig next time, or there might not be a gig. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it, so what we decided to do, because my passion is sport. So um, outside of games. And so we thought, okay, sport is renewable. There's always a sequel. There's always another season. Um, That's a great point that there's always a sequel in sport. Really, really good point. Yeah. Oh, well, except for this year. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know this year has to be the one year, right? I'm, I'm telling you that there's always a sequel and this year has to be the year where there's Actually, not a sequel. Yeah, the official <laughs> exception to the rule when a global pandemic decides to, to <laughs> shut it, it down. <laughs> That's it. And we, well, I've got to say, as an aside, we've never had more interest in esport than right now. So mm. our games and and some of the some of the stuffs. There's actually a press release out coming out today from um, the Australian Open. Um, our stuff are around the world from. The ECB, uh, English Cricket Board, Cricket Australia, um, Tennis Australia, and so on—they're all going to run virtual tournaments, and um, that, and they're looking quite good. So they'll get the players to play against each other, the the known professionals that are also gamers. Um, they're going to run tournaments, and so there'll be sort of esports clashing with real sport type events happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, you know, it's been great to sort of see the reception in some of the racing stuff that's been going on. And just, you know, I think when it's one thing when esports are sort of setting up, you know, the virtual versions of real sports with, you know, incredibly skilled people who, you know, just play the digital version, um, you know, that's absolutely its own thing. But it, it's been fascinating to sort of see this embrace of watching the real athletes taking part in uh, in the virtual version of the same sport that they compete in. And, you know, clearly, you know, when people are desperate to have something to watch anyway, um, but it almost feels like something that might have longevity even when sport returns to sort of watch these people kind of having fun in, in a digital mode as well. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, you know, the I, I think we're going to learn a lot from this in mm. terms of obviously we're all learning we probably don't need to drive as much or fly as much. I think we're all learning a whole lot around that. And I also think that some of these leagues and some of the players are learning about the connection they can actually directly have with their fans. Mm. That, you know, all of a sudden um, they are front facing and dealing with their fans. And, and it's actually been a good experience for them from what I can see where they just didn't know there was this whole body of people that they could interact with. And, and I think it's, I think it's here to stay. Um, if, if for nothing else, it's to future-proof the sport so that if this happens again or if they need something in the off-season, they've got to go to. They can actually go, right, we're going to grab these athletes and we're going to sit them on controllers and um, 
you sit them on consoles and they can play against the fans and play against each other and have a have fun. And and I think that's one of the big things too is there's a lot of fun to be had yeah. when when you some of the pros when they take the court, say particularly tennis players, when they take the court, they can be somewhat robotic. It's a job to get done. Close yeah. this out. Next, next, next. Um, when you see them in this where it's not their element, where they're not the best, it actually humanizes them. You, you can actually relate to them and all of a sudden you can see rage. You can see them, you can see them not like losing a point or this or that in the virtual in the virtual world. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's 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 been fantastic. Yeah. And uh, like I think yeah, Mitch Robinson has been, you know, someone who's already yeah, been well known in streaming circles, you know, as like been doing the Fortnite stuff for quite a while. So it's actually been kind of great to see how well he then shines stepping into the um, AFL live arena um, because he already knows how to have that, you know, persona in that kind of streaming environment. And I, I feel like people like him probably helping others to sort of, you know, embrace that side of themselves, um, you know, through this environment as well. Yes, yeah, certainly. And um, I've got to say, I love, I, I love Mitch. He's a fantastic guy and, I'm, I'm a Carlton sport. I'm very sad he left Carlton and went to Brisbane. <laughs> um, well, in fact, he, he didn't so much leave Carlton as Carlton asked him to leave, which yeah. is really, really, they should rue that. Yeah, an interesting choice. <laughs> yeah, he's been fantastic for, uh, he's been absolutely fantastic for Brisbane. And he's a fantastic bloke, comes across really well. And just like his footy, you know, he in his footy, he's head over the ball, hard at it. Um, I saw him lose a game the other night, and I swear it was like he lost an AFL game. Yeah, he, he, the, he really does feel it, and he gets it across. And I think you, I think he'll do really well. And you know, he obviously he comes down for the Australian Open fortnight competition. Yeah, and um, I think he did all right last year, um, or I guess it's this year still. Um, yeah, no, I, there's going to be way more crossover, and and I. I think some of the NBA guys are leading some of that as well. They've got a lot of guys over there that are um, well into their gaming. Mm. And it's a great point, isn't it? That, yeah, that competitors are competitive on whatever it is they do. And I think this lets them have a bit more of a smile on their face while they're doing it. But, um, you know, there's no question that they love to win and therefore they're chasing that every time, even if there's a controller in their hands. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't couldn't agree more. You can tell. You can see it. You can see the. the and there'll be some stuff. Uh, actually, we've got um, uh, some AO. The some of the Davis Cup team um, oh, are yeah. playing are playing the Australian Open um, game against each other. Cool. Um, yeah. So there's a press release going out today. I'm not sure when this will go live. The thing we're talking about right now. Hmm. But this uh, will be next week, I think. Okay, well, in a week's time, whenever you hear this, yeah. um, <laughs> there will have been some Australian Open footage, which I've seen, of some Davis Cup guys playing against each other, and they absolutely have a ball. I absolutely love it. That's great. Um, and, and gives good insight, too. And they give each other stick, yeah. which, is, <laughs> which, is, which is always good to see. Yeah. Like, you just, you know, because normally, normally what happens in an interview, you, you sort of get that, that, after the, the other guy played really well and, you know, I, I just played that tiny bit better and all that sort of stuff. I think 
when it comes to games, they're more likely to actually stick it to each other and go, you need to practice, you need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so, look, let's dig in a little bit about sort of the fact that you have specialised in sports games in general across kind of quite a diverse set of sports because, you know, I think I, I guess at the surface you sort of think, well, you know, it's sport, but, of course, sport is a million different things. I know it comes up a lot when I talk about esports as well is someone's like, oh, I, d- I haven't watched esports. And you're like, well, which one? Because, of course, yeah, you don't tell somebody just watch sports. But I feel like that means... Like, is there all that much in common apart from the fact that there's sports in the way you're making these these games? Because, you know, cricket is a very different thing to, uh, you know, league, which is very different to AFL. I mean, apart from they both have oval-shaped balls, you know, there's not kind of all that many things that bind the idea of sports games. Like, or is there something under the hood that does kind of you know, mean you the, – the lessons from one do cross over to others? Yeah, there's, there's certainly crossover. Um, from a technical point of view, so we we look at it and we break it down internally, where we'll say, okay, every sport needs crowd tech. You need right. to have yep. a crowd, so you build a crowd. Um, every every sport needs to have stadium tech, so we have stadium tech, um, grass tech, you know, all the like things. So you actually do have a lot of crossover. Um, and a lot of tech that can be reused. Um, excuse me. Um, so the big difference between sports is actually the artificial intelligence. That's what it's all about. Right. So nearly every sport has a ball. And, you know, nearly, um, you know, unless you're having darts or something like that. But mostly there's a ball, and that's the object of the, every game is this ball doing a thing. Um, so it comes down to artificial intelligence. It comes down to saying, okay, how, how does a ball behave in cricket and what do people want to do with it? Um, what does the ball behave like in league, which is a little bit, you know, rugby league, rugby union, AFL, um, and to some extent, even soccer, things like that. Um, there's a lot of similarity in the size of the ball and what it does, it can be kicked and so on. Um, and generally there's a goal to try and get the ball in. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a, there's a lot of similarity between the sports. Um, and I think with, if you look at uh, rugby league in particular and um, AFL um, and also American football too, because it also started as rugby. Um, a lot of them go back to rugby and their derivatives of rugby union. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, that makes sense. (laughs) So, you know, because they derive from the one place, it's a little bit easier to, you know, to construct them from Mm. almost the one place. Yeah. And so, yeah, which was the first of those sports games that you, you hit on, you know, and I guess that meant getting, um, you know, or like, was there a license the first time you did a sport game, or was it sort of something that you, you know, were able to do, um, just as its own beast? How how did that first game come about? Well, the the first one we did was actually, and I and I've just been saying that there's normally a ball. Of course, <laughs> the first one we did didn't have a ball, um, so it was called sprint cars. <laughs> yeah, and basically, it's uh, racing racing um, winged vehicles on dirt. 
Oh, yep. you're, you're basically constantly sideways. You, you're always sideways. If you're not sideways, you're going to hit a wall. So you, you're constantly drifting pretty much around the track. Um, and that was, that was with THQ. And it was, it was really interesting because we actually happened to have a number one game in the USA with that. Oh, and, yeah, wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was really crazy because it's not that everyone in the USA loves sprint cars because that's not the case. It's actually, it's a sport for the Midwest. It's all the way down the middle of the USA. But what happened was Madden was so big that everyone avoids Madden. Nobody <laughs> brings a game out at the same time as Madden. So our publisher, THQ, says, hey, great news. We've got a release date for you. And they give me the release date. And, of course, it's exactly the same day as <laughs> Madden. We're like, we're like, oh, my God. So... Sprint cars and Madden on the same day. Great. <laughs> we think this is going to bomb like crazy. You know, you can't come out with Madden. So it's kind of like if you came out with GTA these days. Yeah. Madden was so big back in the day. Um, it's still big now, but yeah. it was it was absolutely huge then. So about two weeks prior to – two or three weeks prior to release, um, Madden slipped. So <laughs> – so we were literally, and I mean literally, because everyone avoided before and after Madden, we were literally the only game for three weeks that you, got released. You Bradbury'd it. That's it. We <laughs> Bradbury'd it. Totally. It was a great Bradbury experience, I've got to say. The headlines were just classic. Um, what the hell is a sprint car and what the hell is it doing in the PS2 chart? <laughs> like, yeah, there were, there, the sand frame ones were a bit more explicit than that. You know, they were like, what the is this? <laughs> so people bought it to find out what it was because it was the only game for sale. You yeah. Um, but look, but was, I, you know, crazy. I used to watch uh, sprint cars out at Parramatta Speedway sometimes when I was a kid. Um, and I can imagine that, you know, as a, in a gameplay sense, it's like there'd be a clarity to it that kind of could make it really fun. Oh, it was one of the best games we've made. I, I loved it. it. It taught us a lot, though, too, about... Um, it taught us a lot about taking sports seriously too. It's, it's kind of interesting, the audience. We, um, so we'd made three sprint car games. And on the third one, we decided, what are we going to do to give people depth? How do, how do you, you know, it is literally a left turn, left turn, left turn, drift. And what can we add? So we thought, okay, let's go crazy. Let's add. Um, arenas where it's bomb tag and demolition and this and that. So we yeah. added all these extra things and people absolutely hated it because they thought we were taking the piss out of the sport. Right. Yeah. yeah so we, we got hate mail from them saying, you guys, our sport is serious. You can't be doing that. Yeah. And we thought, oh, well, we're going to give them fun, you know, <laughs> bomb, bomb tag in a sprint car, you know. <laughs> apparently, apparently that's not funny. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So we did learn about, you know, we did learn about that and we've held that. That's held with us for a long time in terms of making sure we're true to sport and we don't do flippant things unless it is a totally flippant game, you know, unless it is like bobbleheads because it belongs in BBL um, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But, yeah, so then we, um, after that, we ended up um, – Going doing rugby league live um, with True Blue in um, in Sydney, and then we did um, an AFL game with with them as well. 
um, which is the best-selling AFL game to date. I'm glad still to know that that, that title still holds. Um, and we did some more league games and so on. Um, and along the way, we were always working towards doing our own IP from start to finish. So um, actually owning the, you know, getting the license ourselves, doing the development ourselves, doing the um, publishing ourselves and doing the distribution, which a lot of studios do um, in a digital sense. But being able to do it at physical retail is is something that, that takes a long time. It took us six or seven years of banging on Microsoft's door to get the ability um, to have a license to to print discs. It was a long, long, long road. Um, and so along that road, we did Don Brab and Cricket, which was um, interesting from the point of view that we lacked license. So we actually made the world's first um, cross-platform um, sharing server. So you could create content on a PC or an Xbox um, or a PlayStation and share the content effortlessly um, in-game with other people and everyone would vote on it. And that that enabled us to have Don Bradman Cricket, which had one license player in it, Don Bradman. That was it. Um, and then we had a button that you could press that was called Get Best. And what it would do is you push that button and we'll get the world's best players curated by users. Um, and the key uh, being... Yeah, that, right. Yeah. The key that we didn't do anything. So yeah. the, the user experience was that you pushed a button and all of a sudden you had every Australian cricket side from body line onwards. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, you had every English side since the early 1900s. Um, there were local sides, all the Shield sides, uh, the BBL sides... Um, and most of the Indian sides as well, um, but they were all made by users, and it circumvented the. It, it kind of circumvented the license yeah. in a sense. That's obviously what we're doing is we're operating as a service provider in that sense. We don't do any of the content or yeah. any of the voting. It's all third party. Mm. And that's it. How did like how does the community in that context, uh, you know, decide? Which yeah, you know, which version of some player is going to be the canonical version for you know, like was there a, like a voting system or something so that the community would decide whose set of stats and whose created version of a character was going to be the the best version? Yeah, they definitely did. So there were two there were two methods for us to systematically decide which were the best, and it was done via a voting system out of five. So you could get votes, but also the number of downloads. Right. So if someone was getting downloaded like crazy, you figured, or the system figured that that would be the best version. If if it subsequently was found that it wasn't the greatest version, then people would downvote it. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, cool. So essentially, you had this flux, and the interesting thing is you could constantly do it. So you could, you could go get best every day or week whatever you wanted to do and you'd get the best at that time. Yeah. Um, so it evolved. Um, and we generally would put out on steam 
all of the editing tools a month earlier than the game release so that the content was there on day one. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, so the game comes out and there's already a load of content from users. And also users, we, we'd also give them a little demo. So if it was cricket, you'd be able to play in the nets and things like that. So you could become quite skilled at the game before the game arrived. Um, as a sort of as a thank you for the guys who were creating it as well, so that mm. you know they could they could see their creations actually in use and how they batted and bowled and so on. But that actually led us to um, the ability to get the licenses. Um, I think it was Cricket Australia and English Cricket Board came to a point of well we may as well get something for our licenses if people are going to play with our stuff anyway. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, that's a good point. And look, you know, I mean, these are all sort of largely, you know, Australian sports that sort of haven't, uh, you know, clearly, the, you know, there's not much interest outside of Australia in sort of a, some of these sports. Um, but, you know, like which of the sports have you found has been most successful? Or like which games kind of have stood out as the ones that have built sort of the, the biggest fan bases? Or do they sort of almost correlate to the the scale of fandom around any given sport sort of does translate to a similar ratio to the people who get into the video game. Yeah, there's definitely, there definitely is a correlation, but there are some sports that break that. So for example, um, we often look at netball and I, and I think by participation in Australia and through the Commonwealth netball is huge. Mm. Um, and a little bit like hockey. It's just interesting that the constituents, the people that like netball and the people that like hockey, are not going to buy console games. Yeah, right. You know, that's just, just a different audience, no matter how big that audience is. Yeah. Um, but then you take an audience like NRL or AFL, um, they're quite frankly rabid. I mean, uh, we're rabid AFL fans, so um, we we know what it's like. Um and so there's a stickiness of those sports. So you have to look at a sport 
um, and look at its constituency to see are they the sort of guys that are gonna, um, or girls that are going to play games. And certainly that's the case for AFL. It's, it's the case for NRL, uh, for rugby union, uh, and for tennis as well. Tennis is probably our broadest game in terms of constituency. Mm-hmm. Um, tennis gives us fans from everywhere. Small places that I never knew existed that come up on an IP chart where you just go, <laughs> oh, wow, there's a country called that. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's crazy, especially you see, you see when, you, when you all of a sudden you've sold three units into some country in the middle of Africa or somewhere and you just go, wow. Um, tennis, has, tennis has a fantastic global reach. Um, cricket has a pretty much global reach. Um, amazingly enough, it's actually quite quite big even in Europe. Um, there's a lot of expat Indians that work around the world, yeah, <laughs> um, and that that helps that. Um, I, our sales in uh, the US for one of our cricket titles were actually bigger than our sales in Australia. Yeah, wow, <laughs> yeah, which is it is crazy. It, it is nuts, but that gives you some idea of the the number of um, expat Indian guys that are around. Um, we had a, we did a mobile game actually just for promotion of the BBL, um, the Big Bash League in uh, Australia, and it had 15 million downloads. And you just go, okay, so in a population of um, our 28 million or 30 million, whatever it might be, um, to get 15 million downloads is fantastic. Yeah, but but then you dissect the numbers and. Yeah, we got 1.5 million downloads in Australia and 12, 12 million downloads in India and around the 1.5 or so for the rest of the world. That's amazing. And, I mean, look, it's funny, isn't it? Because, again, I guess on the business side of this that, you know, quite often I feel like there's, you know, there's a lot of underestimating, you know, just the sort of the export opportunities attached to, to these things. And so it's interesting that I guess, yeah, when we think of, again, we think of cricket in almost a very domestic sense mentally, but there is this massive overseas audience out there who wants to, you know, who like loves that game so much that they want to consume everything related to it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a religion um, in India. It, it really is. I've, 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 India is one of my favourite places and I, I've travelled there quite a bit. And it's amazing to see kids that are six and seven years old. They'll take any rudimentary thing and make it a bat. They'll get twine and make it a ball. And they'll play on some of the the oldest monuments that we have on this planet. So <laughs> the most the most uh, holy of places. They'll be sitting there having a game of cricket against you know and and chalking up stumps on something that is like four thousand years old or something and you sit there thinking oh my god it's like like um you know cricket cricket is a cricket is above the uh religious things that they have in terms of they'll you know chalk stumps up on the side of something four thousand years old that's a deity you know (laughs) that's amazing um i wanted to talk about the tennis game a little bit more as well because i feel like there was 
there was a while there, like a decade or so ago, when there were a bunch of great tennis games around. Um, is there much competition in that space at the moment? Like, I, apart from the AO tennis games that you guys are making, I just not many other sort of games leap to mind in that same way that that in the sort of Xbox 360 era, I remember there being some, you know, really sort of fun, a whole like a whole bunch of tennis games all at once. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I do. I, I am friends with the guy that started um, back then um, the the stuff with two K mm. and and with Top Spin. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so there was Top Spin and Virtua, and they went head to head all the time, and they were fantastic games and very different. Same sport, different mm. game. You know, different style. Um, so it shows you. You know, you can have that divergence. Even though it's about the same sport, it's a, I guess it's an artist's impression. You know the difference between the different types of fighting games we have, I guess as well. But yeah, yeah with Virtua and Topspin, so essentially the backstory as to why we didn't see a game for so long is the players wanted too much money. Wow. Yeah. And, right. And it was just a standoff. Yeah. So essentially, it was a bluff that was called. And only to find out that it wasn't a bluff. So, yeah. So, essentially, they went with the players. The players said, we need more money. Because people think video games and they just think billions of dollars. They yeah. think everything's a, they think everyone, everything's a GTA and everyone's rolling in money. So, you know, because of the nature, I guess, that it's close to Hollywood. But the reality is, you know, some of these things are a grind and some of them just make money. Um, the business itself is fantastic as a whole. But you've got a few horses that win really, really well, and you've got the rest that are making a living. And yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But they had a meeting about tennis, and the top tennis players, or let's say their managers, because it's not really the players, the managers asked for an amounts of money that would make the game not supportable or sustainable. And they were told that they didn't believe it. And they said, take it or leave it. You need to pay us this or you don't get to make a game. Um, and the, that's what happened. Yeah. No one made a game, you know. It was, and there's some interesting things in sport where that's happened. You know, it's that, it's that thing where I actually, when I sit with um, whether it be cricket boards or other sports organizations, the first thing I need to get across to them is that this is a marketing opportunity for your sport. And if you don't have a video game, you're going to lose in the long run. You you need to get the hearts and minds of the young, um, because for all the for all the money the AFL, say for example, could spend on GWX um, and expanding their market, um, I would say they'd get far more bang for buck if they made a very good video game and gave it away. Yeah, <laughs> good point. And look, um, I, I think, um, you know, uh, oh, I'm trying to think, you know, like I see sort of Daniel sort of, you know, the credit list there and things as well that you you make lacrosse games and things like that. It's like, you know, I mean, how, yeah, do all those different games kind of, you know, or the I guess the organizations behind them treat those kind of likeness rights in different ways and things? Or, you know, is it partly that you've you've been able to find the right people to talk to about how that value exchange really works in the end? Yeah, if we've got a license, it means that we've been able to get our message across. Yeah, um, that it is a, it's about marketing first. 
I mean, it all goes, it, a lot of it goes back to the, the very strong message of FIFA, where FIFA in the first place, um, no one knew what a FIFA was in 1994. Um, the World Cup was going to be held in the USA, the World Cup of Soccer, and no one knew what a FIFA was, unless you were really into football, you would eat soccer, you wouldn't know what FIFA was back then. Mm. They actually gave their game, they gave their game rights for free. So FIFA did not charge EA in the early days because they saw it as a marketing opportunity and they needed to get the hearts and minds of the young. And, you know, you fast forward 20 odd years and you're, you're sitting there going, it worked a treat. People yeah. know us in, in to the point where people don't know what FIFA is anymore. They think it's a video game. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a sports organization that operates all the football for the world. But yeah, people think it's a, you say FIFA, people think it's a video game. So they went through the highs of actually, oh, now everyone knows what FIFA is, to now no one knows what FIFA is because <laughs> it's actually a disc, you know. It's, um, but that's what they did. They had the foresight to actually say, you know what, let's plant the seed and let it grow, um, and we'll make the money later. And boy, do they make money now, you know, from that game. Um, and and they really do have. A lot of kids that probably have never kicked a football in their life, but they know who these guys are. They know who Messi is. You know, they they know Ronaldo, but you know they don't know anything about footy. Yeah, and I mean, right? Like in so many parts of the world, being able to even watch this stuff, you know, live or you know, a lot of it is behind sort of you know pay TV type sort of things. That there'd be plenty of people who just love playing the game and wouldn't necessarily get to catch many games in a year. Well, you know, potentially any games um, when they're actually you know happening. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've got to say, we we actually only make sport that we have expertise in. So lacrosse was an interesting one. Um, because it is something that we'd only watch on TV. None of us have played it. None of us in the office had played lacrosse. We'd we'd seen it on TV, but that was it was it. And I actually Carlo Sanceri of um of Cross Studios in the US had been at me for five or six years. Make a lacrosse game, make a lacrosse game, you know, and it's like I would say to him, I don't have expertise and I'm not gonna make a game that, you know, I don't have expertise in because I don't want to do that to fans where they yeah. buy a game and it's made by someone that doesn't know the sport. So um, Carlo does know the sport. And so after him hounding me for, for those years, um, I finally relented as long as he was going to be key on it. Um, so in every sport we do, we, we actually make sure that there is someone that has an extraordinary passion about that sport and make sure that it's right. Because, yeah, we, we do have um, people now globally playing sports that they'd never get to play. And I, I'm sure that's for AFL too. You know, there's no other country that plays AFL, um, not even New Zealand. So um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that see AFL for the first time across TV or across the video game itself. Mm. And so, look, before we wrap up, I just wanted to touch on the kind of those I guess the the big questions around the publishing and distribution stuff, because as you say, you sort of you know it was a hard road, and you sort of you know, finally kind of carved that side of things out. But you know, what, like, what is it about that whole system? You know, are there thoughts on sort of what what could change, or is there like a need for things to be different? Or you know, 
Um, you know, why is it so hard, I guess, for someone to sort of control that end to end for themselves in order to really be able to, you know, to test limits of what's possible for for a game they're making? Yeah, I guess the biggest the biggest issue is it's it's all about finance. So essentially, as soon as you start making discs, you've got to have financial backing because you've de- developed the game, which costs millions of dollars. Then you then you've got to get it on disc, which is millions of dollars. And then you've got to hope that people buy it. And it, and it's about distribution as well. So there's a lot that could go wrong. So before any of those platform holders will let you print discs, they want to make sure it's going to work out, that you're there for the long haul and that you can that you can survive uh, it not working out. They don't want to spend their time and resource on you either. Yeah. But they also they, they also are quite good. You know, the game community the games community is a very small one when it comes down to it. Most people are contactable and findable and most people are very, very human and have got a reasonably liberal way of thinking. Um and I don't mean liberal in the liberal party sense, but <laughs> yeah. a liberal way of thinking. Um and they're approachable and they also don't want to see other people lose. So a lot of the time it's actually about them deciding whether they think you can be successful or not successful. Um, they they don't leave it to the market. You just can't roll up with a bag of money and say, I'd like to print discs yeah. because, because they want to have a long-term relationship and they want to see it work and they want to see you work and, and it all work out and everybody's happy. Um, so quite often, um, while you need to have the finance to do it, you also have to have reputation and background and you have to be able to survive the, the loss if it occurs on a title or two. Um, and that's where it becomes tough. But the real upside of retail um, to date has been marketing. So we actually don't make a great deal of money from retail. Um, it's actually very small compared to our digital. But what we do find, and this will be interesting, I'm sure, for other developers that might be listening, is when we sell at retail, we sell triple our digital. And when, you know, it, that makes all the difference in the world because for digital, you're making 70%. And when you sell at retail, you, you're making maybe 20%. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask exactly that, that, you know, what's the place of sort of discs in the, you know, in the, in the coming decade, I guess, you know, there's always talk of the, you know, the, the next console, they're not going to have a disc drive in it. And I feel like, well, you know, there's an awful lot of reasons why, you know, there's plenty of parts of the world where we still need discs. Um, but, um, you know, what's sort of your perspective on, you know, on that role? It sounds like, you know, that, that, that marketing side of things is really important, but, um, you know, any other sort of thoughts on, on the place of that box on a shelf. Yeah, I guess I'm old school and I like boxes on a shelf and I like the physical product. Mm. Um, the next gen are not so attached to that. And so I don't think it's a matter of if, I think it's a matter of when. And it was really close with the last consoles. I know talking to the platform holders before the PS4 and Xbox One, they were very, very close yeah. to not having discs. Um, but retail to them is where the consoles get shipped. So at the moment, whoever it's whoever blinks. So, (laughs) you know, if, if Sony or Microsoft, in my, this is just my opinion. If either of them were to say, 
or both of them were to say, we're not going to do retail, then whoever doesn't is going to clean up for a while yeah. because they'll be the only console sold. And they'll, you know, being at retail is huge right now. It's, we, we don't have a population that's willing to buy their console online. Um, it's, it's the reason why EB are still doing well yeah. is because they're, an, they're a specialist game store. Um, because not everybody knows everything about games or knows enough that satisfies themselves and they actually need direction. And, you know, there's a place for, there's a place for someone to walk into a store and say, I want to buy this gift for someone else who's a gamer. I don't know what to buy. And I think there's a place for that for a very, very long time. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess any other sort of last thoughts for, you know, the, the budding developers or the, uh, you know, the other companies out there sort of on the, uh, the road ahead, um, you know, is it, is, is it the classic runaway, don't do this thing? Or uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the worst thing that happens to me whenever some, sometimes I'll speak at um, PAX or something like that, and the worst thing that happens to me, particularly around education, is I will have a parent come to me and say, would you like your children to get into this industry? It's probably the worst thing you can ask. Yeah. You really then have to think about it hard and say, well, would I take one of my family members or my children and, you know, put them into this industry? And the thing is, it's the greatest industry that I've worked in. I've, I've worked in a number because when I, when I took my time out of games, I worked all around the world in, in different forms of IT and certainly through listing companies and things like that saw a lot of the the rest of the world and commerce and there's nothing like the games industry it is just fantastic if you if you if you love it and you have it in your blood you should pursue it and i'm guessing that me saying that would i put my children in there that if they were passionate about it then they should do it and if you're passionate about it and you're starting out right now then you should definitely do it you absolutely should do it you should follow it uh it's i guess it's like if someone said to me they're going to be an actor, I might be dismissive because of the number of actors that are out there. But it's not for me to tell someone that they can't live that dream because if they do make it, if they do get in there, it is a fantastic life. Like it really is. You know, being able to make things and enjoy making things and be paid for it, it is just amazing. And, you know, I've obviously now done it for about 30 years, give or take the so 30 years. Yeah, thirty years, give it, give or take the, um, the, break uh, the, the, the break in the middle. Um, actually, it's near forty years, so it's thirty years actual. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I was starting to think nineteen seventy nine. We're in two thousand and twenty now, aren't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I first invoiced in nineteen seventy nine. So it's forty one years ago minus my break. I I loved it, all of it, and still love it, and still love going to work when I'm allowed to. You know, it's. Uh, um, and so I couldn't recommend it more highly. And if you don't make it in your own company, um, you know, if, you, if you've got that want and passion for it, you'll get a job. There, there are jobs in this industry all the time that are available for those that are passionate. And how, how, what do you think is the right way for someone to, I guess, 
show that passion because I, you know, I kind of sometimes see it on the journalism side as well, where it's you know, people kind of can just say they're passionate, but it's a whole different thing when sometimes you can just you can really see it in somebody when when you know you kind of almost see that there's an unstoppable force attached to them, and you know they're just gonna you know they're gonna make it one way or the other. Yeah, we we hire on gut feel, like it. We do verify that people are doing the things that they say they can do, but gut feel is everything. It's it's about knowing that the person's passionate, that that they really want to do it, and the way that they can show that is to show you work that they've done that they haven't been required to do. Yeah. So you know, if if you're at a university or even coming out of high school, show us work that you did that was beyond the work that everyone else did because that's the new zero. When all the kids come out of uni, um, they've all got the same folios. Um, and that's the zero point. You, you need to show what did you do beyond your university degree or beyond high school. Thanks again to Ross Simons, CEO of Big Ant Studios, and to IGEA for helping to bring the show access to so many great developers over recent months. Even in the thick of these strange times, it's great to keep exploring the state of games development around our little patch of the world. If you have comments, questions, or ideas to share, if you want to put yourself or someone you know forward for a chat, or if you just want to say hi, ping me on Twitter. I'm at Seamus, or shout out to Byteside at Byteside, B-Y-T-E-S-I-D-E, where all our shows live. You can find this and all our other podcasts at Byteside.com, or just search Byteside in your podcast app to see the rest of the shows in the Byteside network. Catch you again real soon. 